Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows. I'm the director and owner of Snow Pro Ski School based here in Valdelier in Switzerland. I hope you are all doing well. It is a very hot and um, beautiful day here in Valdelier. It's something like 26 degrees outside at 1100 meters altitude. And I am here in the office catching up with some work. Uh, the kids are about to go back to school which means I can get cracking on all of the other stuff that has been put off so I'm sitting here just cleared out my desk and a couple of other bits and pieces to do but I thought I would just upload this excellent podcast that I have for you which is going to be the long-awaited uh, question and answer episode um, you'll remember about a year and a half ago I asked people to email in questions if they had them and you all did send in a bunch of questions um, I then they then sat in my in-tray for quite a while uh, until I worked out what to do with them uh, a couple of you who sent in particularly specific questions I spoke to you directly um, which was really, really cool actually to, to listen to people and talk to people who, who had listened to the uh, the podcast before. I'm just amazed, as you know, that people do so. Um, and from there, what I did is I waited for an opportunity because I wanted to do this episode with somebody else so you didn't just get my perspective on it. Um, so it just so happened in June, I was doing a motorbike tour with Phil Brown. Phil, you've had on the podcast before, Phil Brown from Impulse Racing and the National School Snow Sports Association. Um, and Phil and I were sitting out, looking out on Lake Como, having just visited the Moto Guzzi Museum uh, we just found ourselves a, a little apartment just looking out on the lake and we sat out on the terrace and finally got round to answering these questions. So that's what this episode is and I hope that these are constructive and useful answers. They're just our perspective. They're, they're by no means the way to do things but, um, but certainly the perspective that you get comes from two people that have been in the ski industry for quite a long time now so without further ado i'm going to leave you to it i've got plenty of other work to be catching up with here on my desk um i present to you the lake como question and answer special uh including me and phil brown i will catch you on the next episode which will be fi episode 57 um got a few cracking interviews lined up and i really hope hope you enjoy these but for now uh, enjoy the podcast and i will speak to you all soon bye so i'm here with phil brown of impulse racing national sports no National Schools Snow Sports Association. Various other hats, secret hats. I can't tell you about right now. And this is the episode. This is going to be the episode, Phil, where I finally get round to all the questions that I ask people to send in, or various people have sent in. I'm a bit embarrassed because this first one was sent in on March 28th, 2022. <laughs> so it's like a year old. And uh, I've been saving them up in the hope that I'll finally get a moment to hang out with you so that it's not just me answering the questions because I don't really know everything. And it'd be nice to have another perspective on it. So here we are. 
Um, so we'll just dive straight into it, shall we? These are blind, so I haven't read these for ages, and you haven't, you don't know what they are. Could throw so up some interesting questions there. Could be, but it's completely off the hat. And I, we should also mention that we are sitting here, looking out on Lake Como. That's what the, sort of, the crashy wave sound is in the background. And every now and then there's a big boat goes past, so we'll probably pause it for that. And you might be able to hear some background people swimming in the lake. So we're on a bit of a motorbike tour, hence I've got you. <laughs> right, the first one comes from Alexander Kolborg. And I think I spoke to Alexander anyway, but we're going to read it out because other people will get this. So it says here, uh, hello Dave, first of all, thanks for a great podcast, I'm a big fan. So, I'm a 29-year-old Danish guy and I would like to become a ski teacher. I've done a couple of seasons in the mountain already. This winter I'm in Val d'Isere working as a physiotherapist, which is his trained profession, and skiing as much as possible. I'm serious about wanting to make the move to be a ski instructor. It's not just a gap year thing. It's not easy to decide which system of education I should go for. Uh, your episode with Andy Rose got me really keen on taking the Austrian way with the 10 days and water and invert of course i can be working in an austrian ski school already next winter but there are tons of different systems and i've also looked at Bayesi. as i can understand the Bayesi one and two in the inverter are accepted for working with beginners and skiers in several countries including austria oh it comes to look it comes to the wakeboard boat hang on i'm going to give that a chance to go by it's quite a noisy one Hold that thought. Why oh, did it do the trick? I think this adds a bit of colour. <laughs> oh, it's going to go right over there, look. Then, it comes, then it comes back yeah, close. Oh, which way is it? It's going to go that way, look. Oh. oh, no. Oh. Good thing is I can just edit this out. I thought the cool thing to do these days was like the wake surfing. You know where you have to... Wakeboard in the back of a boat is great. Is it? Have you ever tried it? No. I've only ever done it once and it's such good fun. Is it easy? I, it found, easy. I found it a lot easier than I thought. Alright. It's just sliding along. Yeah. I had the choice of water skiing and wakeboarding and I thought I don't want to water ski because yeah. it's too different from skiing or wakeboard and actually sideways on it was really good fun okay. alright well good right where were we uh, as I understand the Bayesi 1 and 2 and the Anverter are accepted for working with beginner skiers in several countries um, uh, where am I Including yeah, Austria. including Austria and Switzerland. The Bayesi 1 and 2 is a bit longer and more expensive, but do you think it's easier to get a job in Switzerland with Bayesi compared to the Anverter? The most important thing for me is that I can start working in a ski school already next winter. I'm looking at going either to Austria and Switzerland. What would be your advice to a guy in my position? Side note about language, my school German is rusty, but I can catch up. My French is pretty much non-existent fluent in English and of course Danish. Thanks for a great podcast, looking forward to the next episode. Bye, Alexander. A lot of questions. It really depends. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very woolly, isn't it? Let's look I'll... at the first thing first. Anverter is like 10 days and you're in. 
Phase one and two is longer and complex. You've got to get the courses it's running in the right order. And three weeks, is it, yeah. in total? Uh, Unless you do a gap. Yeah, that'll be three weeks. Plus a gap or like a work train thing, right? Yeah. So it's not anywhere near as easy as doing the 10 day. Well, it's not as quick. No. Let's. I don't know about easy, because yeah. I've never done that. Much. I would suggest... Oh, look, hang on, we've got some wakeboard boats. Wakeboard boat waves coming in. Take those to go. What would you do if you're in his position? Surely, the, 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 you know, to get get working like quicker and easiest as possible is the inverter, right? It is. I'm not 100% on what the language requirement is. No. in the inverter and, and what it would be required in order to work but if he's already got some German and he can get that back up to scratch it's probably going to be his best bet yeah it gets you up and going especially yeah. if your French is non-existent yeah because that kind of limits you to the Swiss German part of Switzerland yeah for future job opportunities and they speak Swiss German obviously and not high German yeah it's a whole different language um, no French means it rules out all of the Swiss French results, you know, Verbier and all that stuff. Um, so maybe the, the, the best option is to go down the Austrian route, get, you know, 10 day, then you're qualified, then you go straight to work in Austrian ski school, right? And then you can work through the rest of the Austrian system. Yeah. Especially if, if, you work if, you've got, in, yeah. if you're working in Austria as well, your German is likely, provided you work on it, to get better. And he's got an EU passport, no issues with work permits or anything like that, and speaks English and Danish. So you're quite a useful so, prospect to a ski yeah, school as well. Yeah, depending on where he is and if it's got, because there are some resorts I know that are big for certain clients. I know some for Belgian, some for the Dutch. And yeah. I'm assuming some for the Danish as well. It must be, right? I yeah. don't know where the Danes go. Verbier. I thought it was all the Swedes. There, there are a lot of uh, Scandinavians in Verbier and Nondan all around that way. Right. Danish and Swedes. Right oh, so that is as much as we can offer. In terms of like the timings, yeah, I think the issue with the Bayesi 1 and 2 is that you if, like you, you could get someone to employ you with the Bayesi 1 just about, right? But not uh, it will be quite low down on my list. The insurance that comes with the qualification itself yeah. doesn't cover you to work in the mountains. Right. And the qualification is for the closed environment. Yeah. However, it is then up to whoever is employing you to cover yeah. your insurance and whether yeah. they accept that you are qualified. Yeah. I've just taken on a guy with an inverter and a bunch of experience. Mm. And I kind of rate that I would certainly take that over someone who's got to only a basic one. And the other thing is, the quicker you can get into the system, the quicker you can start building experience. Yeah. Because, let's be honest Dave, when we look at anyone that we'd be looking to employ, mm. we, the experience counts for a hell of a lot. Yeah. You know, rather but, Yeah, well, that's true. And below... So let's say someone writes to me with like a Bayesi 1 or an Anverter or a Bayesi 2, I ask for video yeah. now. Yeah. So it's useful for people to have video of themselves skiing, the best video they can possibly get, and send that 
uh, or expect to be asked for that because uh, level three and above takes care of itself. I wouldn't ask for video for those people. No. Right, because you've achieved a certain level, but but certainly for, for anything less than that, I'm looking to looking to see some see if you've got the right moves. You know. All right, happy with that one? That's good. All right, Alexander. I hope. Sorry, that's a year out of date. So I hope that you found something. He's probably, probably got a whole season's experience. Probably got a real, really now. good job by now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Here we go. So he this started his own ski school. Oh, in no, uh, I feel really bad about this. Don't, don't make it. Right. Here we go. Uh, this one is from Tim O'Brien. Tim O'Brien, thanks for writing to me. Uh, this was on May the fourth, twenty twenty-two. Oh my god. Um, Hi Dave, firstly can I say how much I love your podcasts? Even though I'm not a ski instructor, I've been listening ever since the start and after each episode I'm left eagerly awaiting the announcement of the next guest on the show. Um, I hope that you're still as excited after a, a year of podcasts that I've done. Um, hoping you get to speak with SIA, Ski Instructor Academy, on each other's podcasts at some point. You were right, I'm trying to set that up, um, Tim. Um, if only to see if you can get a word in edgeways. Oh, here goes Wakeboard Man again. Should we let him do his loop? Yep. Right. No, he's doing a much shorter loop. Is he? Oh, off you go. Looks like it would cost quite a lot to run one of those. Yeah, I suspect it burns quite a bit boat, of fuel. Boat fuel, fuel yeah. is not, not cheap. Right. Uh, Okay, secondly, the questions I do like to suggest for your upcoming Q&A would include what do ski instructors do, let's do these one at a time, what do ski instructors do in summer, particularly how do they survive financially and keep ski relevant fitness levels up, especially as you age, a subject close to my heart, no doubt yours. Are you trying to say I'm old? We're both getting old mate, yeah. that's uh, how it is. Right, so, so. what do you do in the summer? Right. The golden question. Yeah, it is the golden question. Up to this summer, I have taught football. That's been my summer gig, and I gave that up in August uh, last year. Um, a few things coincided, and I decided that this, well, in fact, the ski's called Warrants, literally all of my time now. I haven't got time to do anything else. Um, I know I'll give you the examples of the people on my team. So a couple of guys, uh, they've got a guy who's a stonemason, got a guy who's a ski coach, got a guy who's working in Canada as a bike guide or something. Um, a couple work at schools. There's uh, Gabby's working some sort of rental thing this year um, somewhere. And so there's all, all sorts of things, but there's not that many good roles available for people that are only available for say seven months a year that's always the biggest thing about our industry and it's something that bugs me about it it's because you can't it's what forces people out of the industry isn't it it can, it can do yes yeah. yeah so there's that um yeah what about your summer you because you're one of the rare people making a year-round yeah, living Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit different. I mean... You are, certainly. <laughs> my business is... It's a mix. There's some teaching in there. There's some coaching. My, my background's race coaching. We created the National School Snow Sports Association some years ago, and we have a year-round business with Alpine and UK stuff running during the winter, and then UK stuff and camps to Langraf in the Netherlands during the summer um, and 
we've, we've become a bit of an events-based business on that side of things, which keeps us running all year. However, I came into full-time skiing relatively late, having been involved in racing early on and coaching early on, and then doing it alongside a, a more corporate career in pharmaceuticals for a number of years. When I took the plunge, as it were, after being made redundant from pharmaceuticals, I did multi-drop driving in the summer. Mm. Hard work. You just you know, do tough more. tough yeah. work, but it filled it filled the first two summers until we could get stuff running um, to actually give us a year-round yeah. income. And um, and my wife did work for a, a company in the southwest, uh, a posh drinks company, mm. um, for a few years after that until the business could support both of us. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got to be very fortunate to find something that can keep you going all year round. You've got to all have a big ski school that earns you lots of money, <laughs> so you can sit on your piles of money during the summer, sunning yourself. That, that, the only, there's only one person who's doing that. Julian. It's Julian. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or you have you have an alternative career. There are guys that work for me as coaches. I've got one that also stays on in the Alps and looks after apartments turns them over mm -hmm. through the summer for the summer season uh, there's guys that go out and do um, they teach in um, they teach surfing or windsurfing and stuff like that mm -hmm. obviously that kind of thing is tougher now out to do outside the UK for the guys with European passports yeah sorry without European passports because they've got their 90 days or they yeah, can get no, their working visa but it's only for so long yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a whole plethora of different stuff, but I wish I had a pound for every time I'd been asked the question, what do you, you do in the summer? summer yeah. It is going to be the most asked question of a ski instructor or race coach. It took me, it's taken me, so I moved out here in 2009, so it's taken me, what's that, 13, 14 years? Yeah, 14 years to make an annual living out of it. Mm. You know, having that do football. Anymore. Building and... Yeah. Making it work. Yeah. 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 Um, second part of that question, how, what do you do to keep ski relevant? Well, you ski all year round, so I'm not doing a lot of skiing in the summer. Right. A lot of the stuff we do, I'll use other coaches. Mm. But I'll cycle. I walk, I, I walk a lot. I live in, in Aosta, so I go out walking. It doesn't take a lot to get the heart rate up walking up no, just above where I live. Where yeah. Or I'll cycle. Um, I don't run. If you see me running, check check that I'm being chased by something. <laughs> chased by a bit. Um, but yeah, apart from that, not a lot. Not no. a lot, really. I so end of ski season, I give myself a month free of exercise completely to let my body recover a bit. Uh, through the season, I play football every Tuesday, so I do that all year round. And then I go, after I've had that month off, I then go into a program of doing, trying to do interval sprints. So I do kind of interval trainings, like uh, variation of that. So it's, it's kind of explosive, it's high intensity, and it lasts only 30 minutes, which is about as much time as I've got you know, before I get bored. I walk a fair bit, and otherwise, I don't do anything. I ride motorbikes and that does nothing for fitness. No. 
in the autumn like this year I did do a whole bunch of trials biking and trials bikes don't have a seat which was great nice. for great for core uh, quad strength which is pretty cool right uh, question two or part two of the same question um, once qualified how do you keep up with developments in the world of skiing and ski instruction do you do refresher courses with high-end specialist providers watch videos of top skiers or go off into other countries and associations into skis to see what they're doing all of the above yeah to an extent you mix with other instructors yeah um, in my case mixed with other coaches some work in at the sharp end of the sport which is a massive help mm. for your qualifications you have to do X amount of days every three years now you can take a course yeah or um, you do some of the online CPD stuff for that but there's nothing like working with other instructors or coaches yeah. to yeah. keep you sharp and keep you on your toes in terms of what you're looking at you can become stale otherwise yeah that's true because you get you get your own sort of set ideas of how things should be done yeah and I've stolen this season I've stolen three or four ideas from Stefan stuff I've seen that I just thought that's genius and then in the Swiss snow sports you have to do refresher every two years um, which is this year was just a bit of a ski about but I did learn something out of that so you get something um, and there's never been more media available in no. skiing so you can consume as much new ideas or old ideas or rehashes of ideas that have existed since the dawn of time as Be much as you want bear in mind there's also a lot of old tat on the internet <laughs> yeah, yeah there is a lot there's a lot of rubbish out there as well so there is be a bit picky when yeah you, it's when true. you're looking at that because That's true yeah you can go down some very strange wormholes. Yeah, you very much can. And then the last one, the only other one I say is it's also the reason that um, I started the podcast actually. It's because I couldn't find any high end specialist training provider to do CPD stuff. Yeah. So hence I just started this because I wanted to speak to people, knowledgeable people. And, and people like you yeah and just I'm, to, I'm just a filler <laughs> just to make sure like I'm going down the right road and also yeah. you know just to find out how other people are doing things and how other people are thinking about skiing but I think the long story short is that everyone who is experienced and, and thinks roughly the same way about skiing there's only so many ways you can skin a cat and the fundamentals remain the same don't yeah they? But it's variations on that really. yeah i mean one thing i'll add in there what i find really interesting is i run um the race coach stuff for iaz and i'm also a tutor for the home nations for the ukcp stuff so all coaching um and actually there's always something to be learned when you've got candidates coming through with a little bit of experience mm no one knows it all so it's really interesting hearing some of their viewpoints and some of their ideas and mm. a bit like you dave i've um appropriated some drills and yeah. uh exercises from some of the courses i've run no for sure because they work yeah no the best coaches are the best thieves aren't they <laughs> that's how it works point three from tim's email why did you choose switzerland as your base to base your business in um because you're a millionaire 
Yeah, right. Uh, when it's an increasingly expensive and therefore presumably shrinking market, um, are you considering a move to other markets? Uh, did you see any signs it will get easier for you to employ non-resident British instructors in the future? No. Looks like it's a question for me then. Yeah. That's fine. Switzerland. Um, the reason I chose Switzerland to base my business is because uh, I see, or at the time when I had a choice, so I had a choice to continue on living in France and, and do the French thing, but I looked at French tourism and I saw it a bit as sort of a bit bucket and spade, like it was a bit sort of mass tourism. Mm. And then whenever I was working at the time in Switzerland and, and I was, you, you just see the shit, you've seen it, right, when you're over there, the sheer amount of money washing around in that country, my country, um, it's a bit of a no-brainer really to base yourself in one of the high-end places. You see the sheer amount of wealth that, that comes in there as tourism. It's like, it's not mass tourism, it's tourism, you know, done well. It's a safe country, it's a, it's a stable country, there's no chance that they'll change the rules. It's, and for me it worked better because my wife is Swiss, kids Swiss, now I'm Swiss. Why wouldn't I base a ski school there? I wouldn't do it in France. I don't think France is the golden goose that everyone seems to make it out to be anyway. I've never thought that. It's, uh, well, it may have been at one time, mm. but I don't think it, it has been for a while. No, no, and there's also a lot of competition there so I think the other thing is like setting up in a place where it's easy to do business and it's easy to compete and that that's one of the reasons I like it there too you know it's it, business is easy to do and there's a market there that you can you can really go after or there certainly was in my case um, so I wouldn't say it's 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 only increasingly expensive in relation to everything else yeah right but if you're in Switzerland and you're earning Swiss francs, it's not increasingly expensive. Um, and furthermore, the sheer amount of money that has been printed in the last 25 years, frankly, there's, it's, for a lot of people, it's not expensive. Mm. It's just not. The money floating around in the upper echelons of society these days is extraordinary. The numbers that are talked about by big corporate business. Remember, there are it's nuts. A large number of international schools in a very easy catchment area yeah. from you, Dave, yeah. where there are a lot of expats from many countries yeah. based in Switzerland yeah. who are high earning. Yeah. And at the weekends in the winter come and have lessons. Yeah. So I also um, there's a comment in there about the market shrinking, whether it's because of the expense, whether it's because of the climate change, etc. Mm. Up to uh, the pandemic, it was it seemed to be growing year on year. Mm. And after the pandemic, the first year that everything was working, it was a bit pedestrian. This season, it was like an explosion. Yeah, it's bananas, isn't it? It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we've had, we've had every year, even during COVID, record years. Yeah. So, you know, it it hasn't for me has shown any signs of stopping. And also, and you look, I've been to Florence this summer. We've just been to Bellagio, and we've been through there. There's people everywhere. Tourism. Tourism is, is absolutely going bananas. It's like revenge tourism after yeah, yeah. after COVID, right? It is. And um, yeah, so I don't 
think that I don't agree that the, presumably the market's shrinking. I don't think it is, and I. I, 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 it might do if you've got you're in a place where you've got like a weak currency, maybe, mm-hmm. and you come to Switzerland, you're like, yeah, the price is eye watering. But if you live in Switzerland, you don't make that currency calculation. You don't notice it. You get used. It's weird. But you get used to paying twenty five francs for a pizza, you know, and you just don't even bat an eyelid, mm-hmm. you know. Until um, we come to Aosta. Yeah, you and you're like, what? What? One one euro twenty for a coffee? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> anyway. Um, do I see any signs it will be easier to employ non-resident British ski instructors in the future? Yes, I think there is some sort of working group going on in the Valet government with a view and at a higher level than that. I was that. going to say that's cantonal, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's cantonal, but I think it's gone. I think it's a state thing as well. Like we're trying to get short-term work permits again for British instructors. Um, and also, there's other places now where they can work. Yes. So, you know, we've talked about Aosta Valley and stuff like that as well before. So there's, it's happening, it's just happening slowly. And Brexit, you know, love it or hate it, badly executed, everyone can, on both sides of the coin can agree with that. And we just have to wait for all these agreements to come into place, right? Yeah. And they will come into place in places like Switzerland, which is not actually in the EU. And places like autonomous regions like you know Oster Valley, Trentino I imagine yeah. and some other places like that so anyway Tim thanks for your email sorry it took me so long to get to it how are we doing for time because we have a dinner reservation we're doing alright 20 minutes this one is from Colin Colin says Dave uh, ski question on behalf of my daughter if I may what qualifications training are available for a 17 year old next season if she ultimately wants to be an instructor where should she start um cheers so at 17 she can do a level one she can do her level two course but until she's 18 she can't get a level two license so can't work in the mountains yeah but it depends how close she is yeah to her 18th birthday and i would suggest getting them both done so that and all the ancillary parts so your first aid your um child welfare module and everything like that Mm. so that when you hit 18 you go dear baby iaz cassie whoever here's all my here's all my paperwork can i have my license thank you very much yeah then like you're ready to go on yeah and the, the choice um, he doesn't say whether she's UK resident or... Uh, Colin, I know, kids based in Switzerland. Okay, so it's fairly open for her then if she's a mm. Swiss resident yeah. to work in yeah. Switzerland. Yeah. Here's a alternate thought, which I'm surprised I don't get more emails like this. I was ranting to you about this earlier on our walk back. No one writes to... No kids teenagers, whatever, write to me and say, Dear Dave, I'm very interested in getting into skiing. You've got anything, you know, I'm, I am what I, you know, I've got a bit about me and I would like to work as an apprentice or something like that. Yeah. If someone wrote to me with that letter and said, like, skiing's my life, I want to do it, I want to be an apprentice, I would be like, come to ski school, I'll teach you how it works. I might even sponsor you through your exams if you're really serious. But you can come to a ski school and you find someone like me, you know, who's keen to support young people. And what you do is you work for a bit or you shadow. And 
you know, we prep you and you go, instead of doing like a, a gap course or something like that, you might, you know, you, you just work in a ski school environment, shadow a bunch of people, yeah. and then you go to your level one and two prepped, or your Swiss Snow Sports one, or yeah. whatever, all prepped, right? I never get that letter. Never get it. No one ever writes to me about it. It's, it's strange, isn't it? I, I do get, and it's only since, as an organisation, we've run this school's level one course and assistant instructor course. I now get people asking about the courses, but no one asking about mm. actual work. Can I hang around? Be yeah. a Saturday boy or can I shadow? Saturday girl? Can I do some shadowing? Can I learn? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? I think so. I would have thought I'd get loads of those. And I would be totally open to someone well, I mean, coming and doing that. But. OK, I'm, I'm going back a few years now to when I first started and I worked at a dry slope in Harlow. And we used to have kids from the race club used to come along and work as, we used to call them boot boy or boot girl. Yeah. They used to work helping kit out and um, sorting the equipment out. Mm. So that they would get some training and and shadowed instructors and and, and a few learn. Quid, right? Yeah, as well, exactly. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. I I don't think we see that. I used days. to have a Saturday job in a bike shop, a pedal bike shop. Mm -hmm. You know, you learn a bit about dealing with the public yeah. and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. Maybe these times have gone. I don't know what what's what. We were we were bemoaning, weren't we, the loss of like the McDonald's server yeah. job, which is like. That's the job that you could start off a job, you know, a career with if you didn't have any qualifications. You get them, but that you've been replaced by a computer. My first part-time job, flipping burgers in McDonald's. Mm, see, when it opened in Harlow. Yeah, still there. I don't know if that one's still there. <laughs> so anyway, that is what uh, that would be the approach that I might do. Yes, to write to a ski school and ask to be a bit of a hang around yeah. for a season, and then take my one and two at the end of the season. Say. But you could equally do the other way, get your qualifications. Yeah. But I figure you're going into it with like no knowledge whatsoever. So you don't even know if it's for you. Yeah. You know, you haven't picked up kids and white nose and white noses and you know, skip yeah. backwards for the whole weekend and that kind of thing. I don't know. But there's that's kinda of how I would do it. I'd look for a friendly ski school and say, Look, you know, I'm just I just wanna be around. Most people would go, yeah, come and shadow some people, wouldn't they? You would. Yeah, absolutely. Get a young, keen person, well presented. Anyway, that's us ranting, isn't it? It's old man shouts. Mm. <laughs> oh, mate. Right, okay, okay, we've got two more to go. Cool. You ready? Yep. Okay, uh, this one's from Dan Grimsey. I spoke to Dan, but we're going to read it out anyway. Uh, Australia. Hi, from Australia. Are you going to read it in Australian accent? No. Not. Okay. Because. <laughs> I wouldn't do him justice. Because um, he was like Queenslander or something. Proper, you know, yeah. from the bush. Um, okay, podcast listener question. Aspiring mature age instructor. Hi Dave, during a recent podcast with Stuart Bernard, you spoke about how the ski industry regularly loses talent as instructors and ski professionals often end up making a decision to move away from the mountains to pursue other life commitments. 
I thought this discussion was particularly interesting as I find myself on the opposite side of that coin. A couple of months ago I made a decision, 33 years of age, to step away from the engineering career I've enjoyed for the best part of 15 years in order to enter the ski industry. Next month I'm heading to New Zealand to undertake level 1 and 2 sir, during the winter with aspirations of then heading to the Northern Hemisphere for the following season. Until now uh, it would most likely be classified as your typical tourist skier with a love for skiing and an itch that I've mostly scratched with annual ski holidays to various parts of the world. My question is this, do you have any advice regarding courses, areas to focus on for a profession or just in general for an aspiring instructor entering the industry that doesn't necessarily have the luxury of time that perhaps someone in their teens or early 20s might have? Thank you for your efforts in producing your podcast and the lengths to go you go to to foster genuine and insightful conversations with some truly interesting guests, especially like Phil Brown. <laughs> he didn't say the last one. Yours, Dan from Australia. Right. Um, my advice would be ski as much as you can with... Skiers who are better than you. Yeah. Yeah. go out seek out skiers who are better than you go free skiing with them mm -hmm. you know chat to them on the lifts just do as much as you can yeah. yes that does take time but you can do that at any age at 33 you're still more than young enough mm -hmm. to really progress well if you put the time into the skiing yeah there's no quick way to become a good skier no and it's hours but if you work and ski with those some who are good then that will be a big benefit and that will help you yeah it's good advice I mean oh, yeah. courses are much of a muchness they are I was Dan essentially I came at 33 I did that ski people who are better than me I ski as much as I could I hustled through my exams I didn't fail many until I got to the higher levels but time is not on your side as a skier at 33. No. Um, I say that now as a skier at... 70? 70 years old, 75 years old. <laughs> uh, 47, I think. Or 46, I can't remember. Um, and already, back's given up, you know, knees are ruined. And... Uh, uh, <laughs> Especially, I think, and I said this to Dan, especially if you have aspirations of going all the way to the top level of the sport. Yeah. You are behind the eight ball already. You have no race background. To do your speed tests. To do your speed tests if they're in your system. Even to become, say, top level qualified. Because it's going to take you a while to get through, right? From age 33, level 1, 2, 3, 4. To get to your ISIA. You'll be 38, 39. Yeah. You know, and, and that, you end up the oldest guy on the course. You end up, you know, maybe you're having a couple of injuries on the way. You're struggling technically because of that. It's pretty negative, right? That's not guaranteed to happen, but it does happen. Um... But actually speaking, when I spoke further to Dan about this, because he was, I think he's an engineer in like mining or something. You're earning a fortune. You're one, you're gonna miss the money, for sure. Yeah. Like you're gonna, earn, you're gonna earn nothing. And compared, but secondly, 
you've also got to work out whether this is actually for you because it's all well and good going doing you at level one and level two you're at the bottom of the pile you will be you will be um you'll be skiing backwards in the mini garden for the entire season you ain't going to be ripping around the mountain picking up kids you are going to be picking up you know kids skiing backwards you have a bad back sore back by the end of every day <laughs> right and You've got to then make an assessment because he's going to New Zealand, right? It's a proper sausage machine. So you'll be doing 600 hours or whatever of mini garden, you know, basic skiing. You've got to then come to the end of that first season and say, did I actually like that? Did I enjoy it? Because it might not be for you. You know, the dream is often very different from reality. reality. And also there is the thing that you're taking the thing that you love to do and you're Making turning it, your it work. into work. It doesn't always work, take it from me. So that's the flip side of that coin, for Very sure. True. It's important to go into it with your, your eyes open, I think. Um, the other thing I did speak to Dan about is obviously if you have skills as like an engineer or something like that, there's plenty of other roles on the mountain that you could also do. Which, He's also Australian. Which may give you more skiing time. It's more, it's more interesting, right? You could be an engineer, uh, what do you call it, a lifty, uh, yeah, not lifty, lifty, engineer. Um, lift engineer, yeah, the guys who fix lifts and stuff. Like, you could do all sorts of stuff. in within, And also, if you're from Australia, you have an Australian passport, so you're limited to Australia, Japan, or not, maybe at a certain age, I'm not sure. Australia, New Zealand, Canada, maybe North America. Yeah. Right. All of those places are not places where you have independent ski schools on the mountain. No, they're all You're working for the corporation, yeah. right? So, and and that is also a possible thing. Like my mate Ali, I don't know whether he's still there, but he's like director of skiing or something. Uh, Mammoth. Right? It's like a proper job. Comes with salary and all yeah. sorts of stuff. Like it's real, you know, like a a real actual job. Um, but still within skiing and still gets you out on the hill. So there's there's stuff like that around. You kind of say that like our jobs aren't real jobs. It's different, isn't it? It's different. It's not <laughs> you're, you're employed by a corporation for 12 months of the year. Yes. Yeah. Whereas what we're doing is, is us against the market. Yeah. So it's a very, very different environment. And one of the other things about that, I think I mentioned it on another podcast that's due to be edited, is that when you work for yourself, I think actually you have more security than you do working for a corporate. Your corporate can fire you at any time, let you go, make you redundant, whatever. Yeah. Whereas if you work for yourself, yeah, it's more work, but you're in charge of your destiny, and if you work hard, you win. It's not for everybody. Certainly, no. It's for the five percent. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. So I would say, Dan, go into it with your eyes open. See what your first season brings. If you still like it at the end of season one, go do a northern hemisphere season you still like it after that get going ski with better people take as many exams as you you are ready for yeah you know much as you can fit in other adage to this is what's that thing that they say about ski instructors you can work you can party what's the other one work party and something else you can only do two out of the three yeah what's the third one I can't remember I've got no idea no I don't don't know it and something doesn't matter it's gone I'll edit that at 33 you get into the end of 30, the, being able to work anyway. and buy yeah absolutely <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more 
Right, last one. That one came in 2023, so we're catching up. We're nearly there. Nearly there. This one comes from William Ross in Montreal. This came in last month, so we're right on it now. Hi, Dave. I want to convey a few thoughts on your latest podcast with Derek Tate, Re-Interski, recently held in Finland. First, I'd like to commend you on your podcast. I've been listening for several years. You have a very low-key, friendly, almost casual approach, and you certainly touch all the bases on the technical side, with usually a few other interesting real-life asides. I've actually only done this podcast, really, just to have all these lovely emails that say I'm wonderful. Okay. You've only selected the ones that say <laughs> yeah, you're wonderful. Yeah, all the others. The ones that say your podcast is a load of rubbish. You haven't selected those. Yeah, they're but all in the your bin. Your podcast is rubbish, but can I ask you a few questions? Yeah, yeah you're going in the bin. I only take positive feedback. Uh, uh, William goes on to say, uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Read the comments that you made to Derek on a lack of difference or variety among the skiers from the different nations. I thought the same myself after watching numerous YouTube videos of the various country skiers. My impression watching these skiers is that they appear, apart from the synchronization stuff, to be almost robotic in the similarity of their styles, all carving in almost exactly the same way, barreling down the groomed demo slope. I consider myself an old school skier with narrow legs and feet close together stance. Uh, you should see Phil. Um, I took lessons at Stowe in the mid-70s. I guess it was the Arlberg approach back then with classic skiing and parallel technique. I have no intention of changing my style, even with my vocal 165 Race Tiger styling skis, which I thoroughly enjoy. What I've noticed, particularly on the last five years plus watching on YouTube, is that the accepted current style of skiing on groomed pieces, obviously not in moguls, powder, crud, etc., is carving, crouched down low with legs fairly wide apart. I find this approach aesthetically not very pleasing particularly when compared to old YouTube videos of two Norwegian-born skiers, Stein Eriksson and Turgurden. Say that. What's that? Tigve Berger. Okay. I think. Hold on. It's a pretty good Norwegian accent. Who is 90-ish and still skiing in Breck, which he co-founded. I'm fully aware of differences in the old skinny straight style skis, virtually no side cut, and the new shaped skis with side cut rocker, etc. I guess, of course, everyone has their own unique approach to skiing, but I certainly subscribe to the views of both Ericsson and Berger, who stated that skiing, for them, is all about elegance and style. I'm reminded of the late John Fry's comments in his excellent book, The Story of Modern Skiing, when he says, Stein Ericsson's dazzling feet together turn of 1955 appears to me as elegant as the carved feet separated turn of 40 years later, perhaps more so. Just a few thoughts, keep up the good work. Bill Ross from Montreal. You pick the bones out of that one. This could send us down some interesting routes. The bottom line for me, yeah, doesn't matter as long as you're enjoying it. Like it. And the fundamental as long as the fundamentals are there. Yeah. Now you can have your feet close together. You can. And still ski yeah. fundamentally well. Mm-hmm. You can have your feet apart and still ski fundamentally yeah. well. However, it's horses for courses in terms of terrain mm-hmm. and conditions. Mm-hmm. Now it kind of brings me on to a, a subject close to my heart. And a bugbear of mine that I see a lot of with modern kit that some instructors, some coaches and I see it a lot more with kids Mm -hmm. they learn 
to roll their feet and carve their skis. They have no ability to physically rotate and steer their skis. Because I learned on straight skis and mm -hmm. we learned to turn our feet and yeah. then we learned to start finding the edges. Yeah. And that's the way I work with that. I've always worked with athletes and how I work with with clients, customers, whatever you want to call them. Mm. Now, coaches and instructors are able to skip some of that mm. with their charges. Yeah. And it's not a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's almost like build, putting the foundations on a house and sticking a roof on the foundations. Mm -hmm. Not putting the walls in. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's the way I liken it to that. Yeah. So, yes, the, t the, the steering, which is what the Stein Ericsson yeah. stuff's all about, yeah. Yeah. is key yeah. to good skiers. If you watch some of the world's best skiers, as in as in the racers, mm -hmm. World Cup athletes, free skiing, and some of the drills they do, there is still a lot of of rotation, yeah, um, and turning, and, and you know, creating maximal lateral sep uh, rotational separation. So it's it's key. It's really important. Well, not only and that, right? Especially, sorry to interrupt your flow, but if you look at the way that they ski in the World Cup now. The sets are such, and the ski radius is such, they're, they're, they're stiviting quite a lot mm -hmm. too, right? If you yep. can't rotate your ski underneath you, you haven't got that skill in the locker, have you? No. You know, to be able to no. set an angle, a steering angle, and then turn it into a yeah. carved turn, it's quite an important skill. It is, a, it is an important skill, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with that. They both look, when done well, Hmm. Skiing looks good, regardless of if your feet are close yeah. together or or, yeah. or further apart. Something I am not a fan of these days is the the whole genre of Mr. A pro skier Instagram account yeah. putting up still yeah. photos where they're trying to get their hip on the ground. Yeah. I just think it's not real world skiing, mm. and I think it's it's an ego trip for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not naming any names. There's a bunch. There's there's some really good skiers in that group who can do it, and there are others in that group who can't. But they work so hard to achieve these pictures. It's just a little bit false, and. I like to see good skiing, regardless. Mm -hmm. You know, my, okay, I come from a race background, so I'm, I'm. Most of the people I've, I've worked with will be skis a little bit further apart, and they will be finding the edge, but they will also be mm -hmm. able to steer. There's nothing wrong, and I've had clients who ski with their feet very close together and and like like steer like steering as their main source of, of turning or the main way of turning. Mm -hmm. And we work on other stuff with them, and we we, we help them find find the edges but they it's not their their be all and end all for them no i'm i'm of that that school actually i prefer to steer my yeah. way around the mountain because i like the feeling of it and i like the elegance of it so for me these days i'm we're at different ends of the spectrum right but i i think skiing is a bit more aesthetic mm. and i think a lot of our clients like the idea of 
like regular ski school clients like the idea of looking good yeah as opposed to ripping around the mountain making calf turns yeah uh, for sure but we're just at two different ends of the spectrum but to be a highly effective skier yeah you need to have that whole package you need to know all the bits yeah yeah no that is true i think something has been lost this is my personal opinion i think something has been lost in recent years with the the pursuit of skiing as performance rather than aesthetic um, when I look back at those those days, I don't know if you've ever been in the the Duke Doster Hotel in um, in Iosta. On the stairwell, they've got some lovely old photos of like the Agnellis and all that yeah. sort of stuff up on the mountain. You know, and they're just like dressed beautifully and everyone's skiing well. And like, the, I think some of the glamour has gone out of skiing for sure. Um, with that and with, you know, with style and I've said on a couple of previous uh, probably those podcasts would air, air before this one does but I think Interski everyone looking the same at Interski which I think he's, you know Bill is right on that everyone did look pretty generic is a consequence of the boots they were on and the skis they were on everybody's generally well Generally, most of them are on a slalom type ski or a short turn ski, yeah. and a and a race boot. Yeah. So you're only going to make yeah. certain shapes. You know, the only variation that you're going to have in those shapes is with your body type. Yeah. Right. So. I I mean I found when I went I went to interski Bulgaria in 2019, and I did find there were some differences, certainly in the likes of the Korean Federation mm-hmm. yeah, agree. And, and stuff like that, and slightly different approaches, but as you say, when you look at the demo hill, mm. there's a lot of very similar stuff going on. Mm. Agree. Agree. And it's one of the reasons that I banged on too much in the last podcast about this, but it's one of the reasons that I really enjoyed a season where I mainly telemark last season. Uh, one is because it was rotational turning, mm-hmm. and the other one is more to do with elegance, style, and personal expression. Yeah. And every time I put Alpine boots back on now, I might feel a little bit restricted in terms of ability to move you know, that's, very, that's your age and your back yeah, well that is yes, that's also, <laughs> also true so um, yeah I'm you know you've got a you've got a, um, a sympathetic ear with me Bill mm. definitely and um, not so much for Phil because he can do it all I've seen him ski he's a beautiful beautiful <laughs> skier so I'm really jealous every time I see him ski he's really nice um, okay that is all of them. Excellent. Phil from Lake Como for the sunsetting. I want to thank you for taking the time to answer those. Excellent. Can we go get pizza now? Let's go get pizza. <laughs> All right. Bye, listener.